Welcome back, everyone. What is going on? The new episode of Raise the Apple is here. Baseball season is back. Pitchers and catchers are finally reported. We have spring training officially underway. It is truly an exciting time right now. We got a lot of news today. Most of it, pretty much almost all of it, is Mets related or somehow involves the Mets in some way, shape, or form. Then we got uh, some mega deals being signed, some stars staying put. Should be a good one today. To start off with, Seth Lugo is out for six weeks. This stinks. This is a huge blow for the Mets bullpen. Seth Lugo is having surgery on his right elbow to remove a bone spur. Shut down for at least six weeks. Thankfully, it was not more serious. They were afraid that it could have been a lot more serious than it ended up being. Thankfully, that is not the case. Lugo will miss the start of the year, but that is okay. It's okay, but not okay. Seth Lugo was the best bullpen arm for the Mets last year, without a doubt. Probably, arguably, the best pitcher on the team last year, besides and in 2019, besides Jacob deGrom. Not having Lugo will be a huge loss for the bullpen. However, with some of the signings we'll talk about in a little bit and some of the other moves the Mets have made this offseason, they have acquired plenty of depth for pitching. You can never have too much pitching. And the Mets have done a great job of acquiring, instead of, you know, maybe just Bauer and Rosenthal or Bauer and this guy or this guy and this guy, Instead of getting one or two big-name guys, the Mets have acquired a bunch of arms. Now They've brought in Aaron Loop, Jordan Yamamoto. We're going to talk about the two arms they brought in recently. They're still in on Jake Odorizzi and Taiwan Walker. Taiwan Walker interest is heating up. They were in on some other bullpen guys that unfortunately signed somewhere else. They've brought in so much depth this offseason. They've made a bunch of little moves rather than one or two big moves which I like a lot. I like the approach that the Mets are taking with that. And losing Lugo, those moves of bringing in more depth are going to prove to be very important. Which leads to the next part. The Mets have added Tommy Hunter and Mike Montgomery, on minor, each with minor league deals with invites to spring training. <clears throat> Tommy Hunter previously with the Phillies. Mike Montgomery previously with the Royals. We all know Mike Montgomery is the guy who was on the mound to shut the door for the Cubs World Series back in 2016, ending the longest drought in the history of professional sports. So adding both of these guys, Tommy Hunter's been around for over a decade. Mike Montgomery's been around for a few years. Getting more depth in major league experience depth. So the Mets... <clears throat> are not relying so much on up-and-coming prospects or just guys in the minor league system that have never proven themselves. They're actually relying on guys who have you know been there, done that, who have brought plenty of experience, have plenty of success, and can fit right in immediately. I especially like Montgomery. I think he will be great if he should, should he make the roster, should he be on the postseason roster if the Mets make it that far, assuming the Mets make it that far. Uh, his postseason experience comes into play. All these little moves that the Mets have made are really being flown kind of under the radar. 
which is the next move, is the Mets also added Kevin Pillar. They've signed Superman, as he was called in Toronto. Another great get. Previously spent, before leaving, or he left Toronto, went to San Fran for a year, went to the Red Sox, and then was spent the end of 2020 with Colorado. He has had a very solid career. We all know defensively he is a stud out in center field. Offensively, he hasn't been too shabby either. He's a career 262 hitter with 82 homers, 858 career hits. I think him and Nimmo and Albert Armora, there'll be a nice little competition in spring training for center field time. I think Nimmo probably has the upper hand just because, you know, he's been there. He's already proven himself. Almora and Pilar would be the guys that have to prove themselves. But I, I do anticipate um, Pilar will probably, if I had to guess, could will most likely make the team out of spring training, which would have him maybe on the bench, maybe starting. We don't know yet. But now that the Mets have added a lot of veteran experience, a lot of, de- of depth at different positions, Luis Rojas has an amazing luxury of really putting any guy wherever he wants. You know, he's, he can move guys all over the place. He can try different combinations and see what's going to be the one that gets the Mets the World Series. And it could be with Pilar in center and Nimmo coming off the bench. If the DH gets implemented, it could be Pilar in center, Nimmo in left, and then Dom is the DH. You know, a lot, a lot can still happen. There's a lot of flexibility with this Mets lineup, which I love. This is the m- most... What's the right word here? The most diverse and deep lineup the Mets have had in a long time. They have plenty of experience. They have plenty of young, up-and-coming talent. It is truly one of the better constructed rosters that we've seen the Mets have. And a lot of these projections agree. A lot, Almost every projection I've seen has the Mets winning the NL East handily. A lot of them have the Mets making the playoffs and making a deep run in the playoffs. Obviously, they got to get by the Padres and the Dodgers. But I think the Mets are in a great spot right now coming into spring training. A lot of excitement, as we've talked about all offseason. And they still may not be done. They have heated interest with Taiwan Walker. They could still add a Jake Odorizzi. I have a feeling, based on what I've seen, that Taiwan Walker is more likely to be added than Jake Odorizzi, but again, that could change. And there was also some other guys that the Mets were in on that ended up signing somewhere else. So the Mets have been very busy this offseason. They were in on Jake Arrieta, who got a new home, Trevor Rosenthal, who got a new home. Uh, they were in apparently on Justin Turner, who's staying in LA, which we'll talk about later, and James Paxton, they were in on. The Mets have been in on all these big free agents this offseason. And just because they didn't land them, doesn't mean necessarily that they're throwing away their opportunity, I guess, for lack of a better word. And like I said in the beginning, instead of making one or two big moves, they've made a bunch of little moves that will hopefully get them over the hump. Now, if you look at the Mets roster and you're wondering, well, they were should have had Bauer or Springer or Rio Muto, no. Should they have gotten them? It would have been nice to, but they didn't. Instead, you know, instead of getting one Trevor Bauer, they got a Jordan Yamamoto, a Carlos Carrasco, 
a Tommy Hunter, a Mike Montgomery. I'm probably missing a, an Aaron Loop. I'm probably missing a bunch more. Having the, all this depth is so important. You don't want a lineup that's so top heavy because if you know, if you look at some teams, if they got one or two guys that get hurt, they're completely shot. You know, if you look at the Brewers, if Yelich is gone, if Yelich and maybe Lorenzo Cain are not in the lineup, that's a completely different team. You know, I don't like to, you know, I don't like to say one or two guys make an entire team, but it does make an impact. And when those big guys go down and you have dozen a dozen guys that have been there done that in their careers at your dispose, that is a awesome awesome luxury to have. Now, I mentioned that the Mets were in on a bunch of guys that signed somewhere else. The first one is Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta went is going back to the Cubs on a $6 million deal for one year, and Trevor Rosenthal is going to the Oakland A's on a one-year deal worth $11 million. Now, I bring up these two together because I'm kind of glad the Mets didn't get either of them because of their price. I think they overpaid for Jake Arrieta. I think Jake, the Cubs at least, I think Jake Arrieta still has a lot left in the tank, but I don't know if the Mets would have been willing to pay him $6 million. I mean, that doesn't sound like a lot, but in the grand scheme of what other guys have gotten for one-year deals, it seems like they may have overpaid for him a bit, and definitely with Trevor Rosenthal. Don't get me wrong, Trevor Rosenthal is a fantastic relief pitcher. $11 million, though, might be a little bit too much of an asking price, I'm willing to bet the Mets were probably around that. If I had to guess, I don't know everything, but the Mets would might have been in that, you know, five to maybe eight million range for one a one year deal with Rosenthal, possibly. But Oakland decided to get their guy. They've lost Blake Trinan in the past. Now they've lost Liam Hendricks. Now they're getting their closer back in Rosenthal. I'm kind of, like I said, I'm kind of glad the Mets didn't get these two. It would have been nice to have Rosenthal at least, but given how much they're getting paid, I think it was right for the Mets to kind of take a step back on it. And that's the same thing with James Paxton. As a segue into that, the Big Maple is heading to back to Seattle where it all started for him on a one-year deal worth $8 million. The Mets reportedly offered him about $6 million, so this... Seattle outbid him. Sandy Alderson has said in the past he doesn't like getting into bidding wars. Can't blame him because then you end up overpaying tremendously for guys that you shouldn't be overpaying for. So they lose out on Paxton. They lost out on Jake Arrieta. Now they've lost out on Trevor Rosenthal. That came out today. But at the end of the day, you can't ignore all the other moves the Mets have made. And considering what they've paid, for some of these guys. The Mets have made low-cost, high-reward moves. They've given up virtually very little besides the Francisco Lindor trade was the most they've probably given up this offseason, and that wasn't even that much. So having not being able to pay for these guys is okay at the end of the day. They were also in on Justin Turner, who is staying in L.A. as I was kind of expecting I don't know why he would end up anywhere else on a two-year deal worth 34 million he's got every Dodgers 
offensive record, it seems, in the postseason with hits, home runs, RBIs, runs, whatever it is. The Mets were reportedly interested in bringing him back, but I don't really know if I would have been down for the Mets bringing If the Mets brought in just, brought Justin Turner back, that would have almost inevitably meant that J.D. Davis was going to get traded. And the question would have been what who they could have traded him for. Would they have traded him for bullpen help, for starter help? Would they have used him to get some prospects back? I'm not sure J.D. Davis would have been worth high-end prospects. He probably would have been worth... Um, major league depth or major league ready guys that have been in the majors you know we saw with the Chris Bryant rumors he would probably go back to the Cubs if there were a Chris Bryant trade which I doubt will happen at this point but bringing back Turner I was kind of iffy about just because knowing the Mets in their history Turner was going to LA becomes an MVP candidate and a stud comes back to the Mets he goes back to his dud self and I didn't see the the Mets outbidding the Dodgers, I would have anticipated that the Dodgers would have had no trouble keeping Turner, and they've added Bauer now. They've traded for Corey Knable earlier in the offseason. That NL West, man, that's going to be the last bit of this episode, is the NL West. I have been very critical of the Padres' bullpen. They have maybe heard me, probably not. They have signed Mark Melanson to a one-year deal. They hear me bashing their bullpen, and they go out and they help their bullpen with Melanson. One-year deal through 2021, with in, including a mutual option for 2022 to make room. They have placed Mike Clevenger on the 60-day IL. Don't forget Mike Clevenger's still there. So they add Melanson to their bullpen. Their bullpen... I'm still not 100% that's the bullpen that's going to get him a World Series, but it definitely has improved, and they definitely have made the right steps forward. I still don't think they're going to catch the Dodgers. I was uh, listening to Starting 9 the other day, and I think they put a good prediction is the over-under if the Padres can finish within single-digit games of the Padres. If the Padres could finish within single-digit games of the Dodgers, I think that's more likely. I think they'll finish within eight games or so of the Dodgers. But at the beginning of the year, they will certainly create a lot, a lot of excitement to keep it on the tails of the Dodgers. And now, last night, they locked up their superstar in Fernando Tatis Jr. This man is getting paid. 14 years, $340 million for an extension for Fernando Tatis Jr. Incredible. Now, when you see that, as a Mets fan, the first thought is, okay, how much is Lindor going to be? Is Lindor going to be less? Is Lindor going to want more? Because he's proven himself a lot longer than Tatis has at this point. Or Lindor's been around a lot longer. Lindor's not going to get a 14-year deal. But it makes you all wonder what Lindor is going to get. But for the Padres, man, whew, when this deal's over, Fernando Tatis will be 35. So he'll still be a superstar. Well, probably getting close to the tail end of his career. 
assuming he can stay uninjured, this is a great mega deal for the Padres to keep their superstar there for a long time. The only thing that you have a slight fear of is an extension curse. So as soon as he signs a mega extension, he just stinks. That's not going to happen with Tatis. Tatis is going to be a stud for a long, long time. Him and Machado, just Tatis in general, just his personality and persona on the field is amazing. So the Padres have now got a 14-year 340 shortstop and a 10-year 300 mil third baseman. So the Padres are showing that they are here to win and they are here to win now. And good for them because it has been a long suffering train for Padres fans. And now very quickly they have their guys up and they've made their moves to show they're in it to win it and they're in it to win it now. Wow, it's nice to see these mega deals happen. You, The only counter argument to Tatis being extended, it kind of came out of nowhere. No one was real. Everyone knew that Tatis was going to be extended, but no one was anticipating it to happen when it did. Everyone was expecting maybe next offseason that was going to be the story or during the season. But he decided to do it now. It kind of dropped out of nowhere. Jeff Passon just goes, oh yeah, Tatis signed his extension, 14 years, 340. But man, that is incredible. I love that they're paying him. Again, the only counter argument that I could see is if they're paying him too early, which I, that's not, I don't think that's the case in this instance. I think they paid him at the right time because we have yet to see a full 162. Actually, let me double check on that because I don't want to feed you wrong information. Yeah, we have not seen a full 162 Fernando Tatis. He played 84 games in his debut year in 2019, played all but one last year. There's no doubt he can play, and he will continue to get better. So it's better that the Padres paid him now than maybe two or three years from now when he may be asking for 400-plus, potentially. So a lot of a good move for the Padres. A great move for baseball is it also will get maybe extension talks going on Lindor and Conforto and seeing where other guys, how much money they they can get if Tatis is getting that, that much. It should be very interesting to see where the Mets go from here. But, wow. 340 for 14 years. That is insane. For a guy who is in his early 20... For how young he is to get paid that much just blows my mind. He's 22 years old, and he just got loaded with this extension. It is unreal. But that's pretty much all the news for today's episode. A lot to cover, mostly with the Mets. The last little bit is, of course, our This Day in Baseball History, and coincidentally, today is also involving the Mets. 2009, opening of City Field. On this day in baseball history in 2009, the demolition of the last piece of Shea Stadium was taken down. The last piece of Shea was taken down on this day in 2009, become the parking lot for City Field, which opened in April of 2009. Shea Stadium was 
rocking in the early 2000s. That was the place to be. I wish I could have been there for, you know, for the Mike Piazza moments and the, um, the Andy Chavez catch in 06 and 07, all that stuff. That would have been an amazing play. Not to discredit City Field. City Field's amazing. But if you watch old videos of Shea Stadium, that place was rocking. But that's pretty much going to wrap it up for this episode of Raise the Apple. We got spring training is here. Pitchers to catchers reported. We got a lot of baseball news, including Tatis getting breaded up with a contract extension. We will have another episode this weekend. Pay attention for that, which will be our preseason prediction show. I'll do predictions on standings, playoff picture, MVPs, Cy Youngs, all that good stuff. Make sure you tune in for that. Make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe if you're listening on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to us on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts with with the links below. And make sure you follow us on Twitter at RTA underscore pod. Any questions you have, feel free to ask. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and let's go Mets. Bang, bang, won't stop till we're legends.